You've tuned in to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. Hello and welcome again to the program. So here's the big question. What are you here for? What is it that drives you? It's a tough one, isn't it? The answer not always easy to put into words. When you get to your deathbed, how will you know whether you've led a fulfilling life if you haven't ascertained what your life purpose actually was? Tonight, Dr. Corbett continues a series of discussions that may well change your life. Basing his discussions on Rick Warren's book, A Purpose Driven Life, Dr. Corbett explores the importance of and the process of finding purpose and meaning for life. So settle into your easy chair and be prepared to be inspired and challenged. Let's join Dr. Corbett now for the second in this series on finding purpose and meaning for life. Father, as we look at your word tonight, this may well change our lives. This message from your word may set us free, perhaps in ways we've never been set free before. Fathers, we open up your word right now, I pray, show us what we need to know. Help us to understand your plan, your purpose, your ways for our lives, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, we've been beginning to look at finding purpose and meaning for our life. And we've said we're loosely basing it on the purpose-driven life written by Rick Warren, where he invites people to join in a 40-day quest where we look for purpose and meaning in our life. And so if you haven't got that book, I recommend you get that book. You won't do, you won't do yourself any harm. Finding purpose and meaning. You know, we mentioned that there are some people who live their lives with a tremendous sense of personal purpose. Abraham Lincoln was one of those people. He led the, uh, the victors in the American Civil War. And he said that his entire life, which was actually a life punctuated by one failure after another, had actually groomed his character for that moment upon which he says he was created. Same with Winston Churchill, that moment that led to him ascending to the Prime Ministership of England. He said all the past failures had prepared him for this moment. And so there are some people who rise to prominence, who have a sense of purpose, they have a sense of destiny. Their life is here to make a difference. Their life counts. And perhaps for some of us, we don't ever quite know the detail but at the very least every Christian can know that there are some broad areas where we have purpose where God has designed for us to live with purpose and to find meaning which is perhaps a little bit different and we'll touch on that in a moment we need to know that we're not an accident you know some children are told rather callously by their parents you're an accident Sometimes parents refer to their children as an accident. You know, the scripture says the Lord opens and closes the womb. The Lord knows everything about you. He's ordained your life, the breadth of your life, the span of your life and the boundaries of your life. As we'll see, you are not an accident. You were made for a purpose. Eugene Peterson translates in the Message Bible... Ephesians 1.11, like this. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ. See, the point there in Ephesians 1.11 is that it's not just Christians who have purpose. God actually has a purpose and had a purpose for you even before you knew him. 
It goes on and says, He had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he's working out in everything and for everyone. God does have a purpose for your life. The scriptures are replete with saying this, that we are here for a reason. He has created us for something. And we need to know this. Ephesians 2.10 says we're created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created to do something good. The average person lives 25,550 days. 25,550 days. That's about 3,700 or so weeks. And we're inviting people just to take a small part of that, a very small part of that, and allow God to speak into your life. We saw in our previous session that there are so many things that want to cloud and crowd our minds and our hearts and our spirits so that we can't hear God. It's almost impossible now to go into any public place and find silence. There's either music blaring, I love music. There's all kinds of flashing and arraying uh, uh, technology now that will distract us. And sometimes we refuse to hear God because we refuse to get quiet and still enough. God wants to speak to each one of us. And I pray that through what we share in this series, we'll begin to hear his voice. And as we talk about God having a plan for us, there's a great deal of controversy right now in the media over uh, this thing called intelligent design. Intelligent design is a, uh, a theory put forward by those out of the scientific community that Darwinian evolution does not explain how life began. In fact, it can't. And these people are saying that there's enough evidence to show that all of the evidence points to do design. All of the evidence points to design. Somebody said, you know, if you were to mark on a ruler all the possibilities of where gravity could be, your ruler would go from here to the sun and you would have to mark it in one centimetre marks. And the exact place where life on earth can live would be somewhere on that ruler and at that exact centimetre mark is the exact place that gravity on earth is fine-tuned for us to live. One centimetre either way, not only couldn't human life live, but life on earth couldn't live. And the question that people are now asking is, is that by accident? And the evidence is so overwhelming. When the human genome code, the DNA code was, was unraveled, we see a string of information that Professor Michael Behe, uh, a, a, a genetic biologist, says that the information is so complex and there's so much of it, it's something like 10 to the power of 23 which is a lot, pieces of information. And he says, without one of those, none of it works. In fact, they, in order for life, this is the smallest component of life. He said, in order for any of it to happen, it all had to be there simultaneously. It's absolutely impossible for any of it 
to be there before the other. It had to be there simultaneously. And he's saying, this professor of biology, the only answer is that some intelligent designer created it that way. He said, scientifically, that's the only possible answer. And so now we're living in a world where more and more people are saying, there must be a God. There must be a designer. This has purpose. You know, historians can look back over history and they can see that where history has had an invisible hand guiding it through. We read the Old Testament. We read of prophets who said, thus says the Lord, this is about to happen. And it happened. We read the prophet Isaiah some 700 years before Christ. He said how Christ would be born by a virgin. He described where Christ would be born, the circumstances he would be born. He described how Christ would be treated throughout his life. You read Isaiah 53, written 700 years before Christ. Some 40 details contained in that section of scripture, written 700 years, describes his death, describes his burial, and describes his resurrection. And every one of those things was fulfilled. There is a hand guiding history. And the scriptures describe how this God has a plan and a purpose for your life. You are not an accident. You were created for a reason. God has his hand on your life. Now, you know, when we look at the fact that we worship a God who was designed... Sometimes we, we can look at the things that go wrong and we can look at the things that we don't understand and we can wonder how could a loving God design something that's so bad? How could a loving God allow such pain and hurt into my life? And I've got to tell you that this God, this God has made a, 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 has given a huge press release about this stuff and it's called the cross. The question isn't how could a loving God allow this to happen? The question is what would a loving God do about what has happened? That's a much better question. This poem was given to me, written by a young man. I believe his name is Ben. Ben saw his mother slowly die. He saw his mother develop uh, a disease that consumed her body. And eventually he saw his mother die. Throughout that whole process, this family of Christians were praying to God. God, heal mom. And as Ben and his mom and the family, mum and dad and the other kids were praying, the situation didn't turn. And at the funeral, he read this poem out. And what must be a remarkable display of faith, he expressed his trust in God's plan even though he didn't understand it. This is what he wrote. Your will be done. This is my plea. That I might walk the path 
with thee. Each step will lead me to my home, and there I'll stand before thy throne. Following the path that you have trod, protected by your staff and rod. Until I reach that glorious place, there to see you face to face. My journey then will be complete. My crowns will lay at your blessed feet. My voice will rise in joyous song as I stand amidst that heavenly throng. All glory, honour and endless praise to Christ my Lord, my anthem raise. Will be my joy in heaven above to thank him for his endless love. There's somebody who despite the circumstances trusted God. The story is told of a man who had gone off to a Christian conference, was involved in the worship and was enjoying the worship and enjoying the break from the busyness of his normal routine. And in the midst of worship, his worshipful spirit was interrupted when an usher came and tapped him on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir, there's a message for you in the foyer. He went to the foyer and his wife was on the phone and said to him, our baby has died. You must come home straight away. Their weeks old baby had just died. He was stunned. He was filled with mixed emotions. And as everybody who goes through that natural grieving process experiences, he began to feel an anger. He began to feel let down. He began to have thoughts of, where's God? Why does God let things like this happen? How can this be God's plan for my life? How could this be God's plan for my baby's life? And as those thoughts were going through his head and he was able to collect his thing and quickly get onto the next train back to his hometown, he was sitting there seething, angry, confused. And across from him were some young men who saw this man angry, yet not showing it. And as this man was there, he opened up the word and he began to point out to God the promises that God had given in his word that spoke of protection and life and blessing and all those things. And then the sniggers came from across the carriageway as these young boys saw this man open up a Bible. The insults were hurled. There's a Christian. He must be stupid. And all these sorts of things. And eventually, they picked the wrong man. They picked the wrong moment. He stood up. He went over to them. And what must be something of the Spirit of God came upon him as he said to these young men, Tell me. Tell me, tell me where you get your answers from. Tell me where you get your strength from in time of need. Tell me, tell me, tell me that. And one of them smartly fired back, yeah, well, I know there's not a God because if there was a God, there wouldn't be all this evil in the world. 
And he turned to this young man and he said, as bold and as straight and as direct and as compassionate as he could, I'm telling you, young man, God is not the author of evil. God is the solution to evil. The question is not why would a loving God let evil in this world? The question is what has a loving God done about evil in this world? And they said, yeah, well, what would you know? And he said, I'm on my way back home to bury my weeks old child. And I've got to tell you at this time, the cross of Christ has never been more precious to me than it is right now. I now worship a God who has felt the pain of losing a son. I now worship a God who knows the pain I'm going through. And this causes me to cling tighter to him, not run from him. And with that, he silenced his opponents. You know, that's not the story for everyone. For some, their story is a story of disappointment with God. For some, like people who grow up to make it their life mission to destroy the faith of Christians, it began because somebody upset them, somebody hurt them, somebody abused them, somebody let them down. And rather than run to God, who is the answer to the problem, they ran away from him, making God the problem. And that's not the way life was meant to be lived. And the question we need to ask of ourselves as we look at this is what gets you out of bed in the morning? What drives you? For some people, they don't get out of bed. For some people, it's a range of issues that, that they're just trying to cope other people get out of bed because they have to. Other people get out of bed and face the day because they're actually excited about life. For some people, they get out of bed because they want to get ahead. They want to do something with their life. Why do you get out of bed in the morning? Why are you alive? What is driving you? What is pulsating through your veins? What causes you to live this life the way you do? For some people... The very reason they keep going on through life is because they're driven by guilt. They're driven by guilt and they're going to use their life to try and numb their guilt, numb their pain. They're going to try all they can. And for those people who might be listening to me right now, I've got to tell you, the solution to your guilt is forgiveness. And there's only one who can truly forgive you. And that's Jesus Christ. And he's just a prayer away. For other people, the reason they live life the way they live life is because they're filled with resentment. Somebody's hurt them. They're now angry. They refuse to forgive. They're going to get back. I'll show them. How many people have gone on to become world leaders? Because maybe as a young child, somebody put them down and they went back and they said, I'll show you. And something was driving them to succeed. How many people have gone on to be prominent in business and politics and the arts and media because they're holding on to resentment? This I'll show you attitude is driving them. They don't know how to forgive. The, per the first type of person needs to be forgiven. The other type, this type of person needs to forgive.
What else can drive a person? Fear can drive a person, but sometimes it drives them in the wrong direction. Fear can cause us to play the game safe. Fear can say, oh, no way. I tried that before. I got hurt. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to play life safe now. I'm not going to take a risk. It could be in the realm of relationships, could be in the realm of business, could be in the realm of church, could be in the realm of work, could be in the realm of whatever. But sometimes fear can be a big driver in our lives. It can drive us in the other direction than where we should be going. The Bible says that perfect love, when you know God's perfect love, it casts out all fear. It casts out all fear. The answer to a person whose life might be determined because of the fear that they battle with is to know that no matter what they do, they're loved by God. They're loved by God. You know, as Christians, the, the, the issue for us is not that we are to be successful so that we become afraid to fail. Because if you're afraid to fail, quite frankly, you're not going to live life to the full. Because we're going to make a job of it. We're going we're to say things. We're going to do things. We're going we're to fail at some point. There are some here tonight who have never failed. Either because you're perfect or you just don't have a go at anything. Some people are driven by the need for approval. You know, you ever, you ever seen that? Now, now I'm delving into the depths of ministry resources. Have you ever seen that Simpsons episode where Homer Simpson's mother appears? And home is now late 30s, and there's his mum doting over Bart and Lisa, and Homer's out the front of the house riding a bike, going, Look at me, look at me, look at me! And he's craving the attention and the approval of his mother that he didn't get when he was a young man because his mother left him, which is probably why he's so dysfunctional <laughs> at a very young age. And now he's craving that approval. You know, people live life like that. I've met people who have looked to me, even as a young man, looked to me for some kind of fatherly approval because maybe they haven't had that approval from their own father. Now, I'll give you all the approval I can, but I tell you what, I can't replace your dad. I can't give you that type of approval. In fact, I know somebody who can, and that's God. God can give you that kind of approval. You ever had anybody say to you, well done? Mate, I've had people who've said to me, you know, I never once heard my dad say, I love you. I never once heard my dad say, I'm proud of you. I never once heard my dad, my dad say to me, well done. You did well. And sometimes because people don't hear that kind of message, they grow up craving that message. They crave it and they'll look for it wherever they can. The need for approval. It can cause young girls to cheapen themselves and do things they shouldn't do just to get the approval of a male figure. And they'll demean their bodies. They'll demean their life. They'll cheapen the very most precious gift they've got. 
in order to get approval from somebody. Blokes do it. Whenever you see blokes competing to display their strength, there's a mixed up need for approval there somewhere. And sometimes that drives a life. What should drive our life? We established the foundation in our first session that it's not what we want. The question of how do I find my life's purpose is not a matter of asking, what do I want to do with my life? It's a matter of asking, what does God want me to do with my life? And I've got to say that there's some, some very simple, broad things that God wants us to do. And I'm convinced that if we busy ourselves, if we get on with the very things that God has revealed in his word for us, the very purpose he's established for us, the very reason there's breath in our lungs, blood pumping through our veins, that we will find exactly what God wants us to do. Rick Warren says this in his book, that there's one sure way to miss your purpose. One sure way. And he says this, I don't know all the keys to success, but one key to failure is to try to please everyone. To try to please everyone is a key to certain failure. How can you find the purpose for your life? Some people say, well, why bother? Well, I'm just going just gonna to eke out my life. I'm just going to not even worry about it. Well, then you're going to miss out. And you're going to miss out on the blessings that come from knowing what it is God wants us to do. Without a purpose, Rick Warren says, life is motion without meaning, activity without direction, and events without reason. You know, whenever the setbacks happen in my life, whenever the setbacks happen in, in our family, and we've had a few, and we don't always let on what they are, I have this underlying conviction that God is still God and he's still in control and he's still worthy of my worship. And I'm reminded of that time when David had done wrong and Bathsheba had given birth to their illegitimate relationship and the child became sick and David went into the temple and began to plead with God for the life of that, that sickly child. And this tells you something about even David, as righteous as he was, not even at this point was his prayer answered. So don't feel too bad if maybe your prayer isn't answered occasionally. And David's there pleading. And then eventually he gets news, the child has died. And the Bible says David arose, washed his face, went down to the temple, knelt and worshipped God. That's a picture of a man who doesn't know what's going on, but knows who does. There's a story of a, a great preacher, English preacher, who back in the days of telephone exchanges where they had operators. He was waiting on the line for his wife. And while he was waiting, he quoted the lines of a hymn. 
And in the hymn, which went something like this, I don't know why things go the way they go, but I know the one who does. And this I know, that I shall spend eternity with him. And as he said that, out loud over the phone while waiting for his wife, a broken receptionist's voice said, Could you just repeat that, please? And he quoted it again. And she said, You'll never know how much that means to me right now. And maybe we need to know not so much why things happen or what's going to happen, but we absolutely need to know that there's one who does know the answer to both of those questions and he deserves our worship. He deserves our worship. You know, the benefits of knowing that we're fulfilling God's purpose for our life, it says in Romans 8.28, that it gives meaning to our life. That Romans 8.28 passage, what a beautiful scripture. All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. What a great scripture. Absolutely great scripture. Secondly, it simplifies our life. You know, we can then ask the question, once we know God's purpose for our life, we ask the question, does this activity help me fulfill one of God's purposes for my life? Thirdly, it brings focus to our life. Ephesians 5.17 says, don't act thoughtlessly, but try to understand what the Lord wants you to do. What a great verse. Fourthly, it motivates our lives. Rick Warren says it's usually meaningless work, not overwork, that wears us down, saps our strength and robs our joy. When you know you're doing something that has meaning to it, it's invigorating. And fifthly, it prepares us for eternity. Most people want their life to leave a legacy, but fail to realise that it's their life that should be creating an eternal future. So while we live our life to leave something behind, the Bible says it's not just leaving something behind you should be concerned about, it's actually putting something ahead that you should be focused on. The way we live life now prepares us for eternity. And we need to be mindful of that. And those five benefits can so enrich our lives as we understand that God has purpose for our lives. We can discover God's meaning for our lives. You know, when Paul the Apostle stood in front of the Athenians, he said to them, after he said, you know, God has established through one man, all people, he set their boundaries, he set their seasons, he, he ordered purpose into their life. He then went on to say, and by one man, Jesus Christ, he will judge the world. You know, life is not a life that is to be lived unaccountably. 
ultimately at the end of this life we're going to give an account for how we've lived our life and unless you know christ you are in danger of of eternal peril you know when the bible says that we live our life in christ we can either approach god on our own merits or on that day of judgment we can be in christ and all god will see is christ so it's not so much a matter of you inviting christ into your life it's a matter of you getting into his life this is the foundation for understanding god's purpose for your life it starts with him it starts with our hearts being surrendered to him our hearts being surrendered to his will as the opening poems uh, uh, the opening line of that poem that young ben wrote your will be done this is my plea can you say that let's pray father help us to be a people who make that our prayer for your will to be done father i pray that for everyone within the sound of my voice right now there would be there'd be a heart cry that says god I know you're there and I so desperately need you right now. Please come into my life and allow me to come into yours. Help me to live for you. Help me to live out the purpose that you have for my life. I pray. Now I just sense that there are believers, there are Christians who have allowed the voice of God, the presence of God, the power of God to be clouded and crowded out of their lives. There's just so many things you're busy with. Somebody said the word busy is an acronym for bound under Satan's yoke. To be so busy that we have no room just to be still and to hear God your purpose starts with you connecting with god and over this time i pray that we can put things into our heart i want to learn just as much as anyone else in this room and i want to learn to have my heart totally surrendered and able to be still without the crowding or the clouding so that i can know my god and I pray for you that that will be your prayer too. Amen. Finding purpose and meaning for life. Does it really matter whether or not you know your life's purpose? We hope you found the answer to that question in tonight's discussion. And we encourage you to stay with us as Dr. Corbett continues to explore this topic over the coming weeks. If you'd like to listen again to tonight's program or refer it to a friend, you may like to purchase a CD copy for $5.50, including postage and handling. Just contact Lagana Media at P.O. Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania, 7277. Please quote the program title, Finding Purpose and Meaning, Session 2. Finding Truth Matters resources are also available via the website at www.findingtruthmatters.org. If you'd like to subscribe to Finding Truth Matters monthly e-newsletter Perspectives, visit findingtruthmatters.org and click subscribe. 
Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett is a production of Lagana Media. We look forward to joining you at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.